Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today we have Luann Stanton um, from LOSS 101, which is located in North Carolina. Um, she deals with grief and grief counseling. Um, she has been helping people through the newness of grief since 1996. She made it formal in 2014 when she founded Reflections Grief Recovery, which is a nonprofit geared towards helping as many people as quickly as she could. Working with Grief Recovery Institute, she made um, her goal a reality, and she continues to search for people who have endured loss so she can help them. Uh, Luann is a country girl who lives with her husband, her mother-in-law, and her eight dogs. She loves spending time with her grandkids and getting together with those she serves. Luann, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lauren. I am so honored to be here. I really appreciate this. And I am just honored to have you. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to do this show is because National Grief Awareness Day is coming up on August 30th, and being that um, I myself have experienced loss and grief, and there are many families in the Huntington's disease community who have experienced loss and grief, I felt that it was just really appropriate for us to understand what grief is and um, and what grief counseling is. So um, could you just give us a little bit about what grief is? I can. And I love the way that you say that we've all experienced loss and grief because it is something that everyone experiences during their lifetime in one way or another. And unfortunately, our society has deemed that grief equals death, and that just is not true because grief equals loss. And there are more than 40 different categories that we can put into that bucket for loss. It's not just a death, but it is a death. Um, It can be a divorce or a breakup of a romantic relationship, a loss of a pet, um, the loss of your health or the loss of a relationship that has changed because of someone's health. And there are so many things in our world that can be into um, the category of grief, but our society does not recognize them. When I think about the definition of grief, it's simply the normal and natural reaction to a loss. And, you know, a lot of people have a significant emotional loss every 7 to 10 years is the average. And because of that, we never really get good at it. And like you said, there are not a lot of resources out there that help people in a healthy way deal with the loss that they're having in their life. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's talk about um, grief counseling. Why is grief counseling so important, and is it different than just talking to a regular therapist? Well, I think it's it can be the same as talking to a regular therapist if that therapist has experienced loss. Because, you know, I have been to therapists in my life, and they have not had a similar situation that I've been going through and they don't get it. And I tell people that it's very important to be able to talk to someone who you feel gets it. Um, my personal story of loss was back in 1996. My most devastating loss in my life was when my husband died. He was 35, and he had something weird called protein S deficiency, and it caused him to have a stroke, and he became brain dead five days later. And it was a devastating loss. And so when I went to the Grief Recovery Institute for my certification, I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a licensed therapist. I don't pretend to be one. Um, but I have experienced loss, and so that gives me the credibility with most of the people that I deal with because I have walked in their shoes. And I tell people, you know, there are so many different kinds of losses, and Sometimes therapists will put a label on a loss, anticipatory grief or, um, you know, traumatic grief. And I say a loss is a loss because everybody feels their loss at 100%, whether it's the death of a cat or when my mother was diagnosed with dementia and her life changed and my relationship with her changed, that was a loss. I'm sure that so many of your families can identify as someone loses their their physical being and their capability, their mental capabilities, and as they go through that horrible journey, to know that there's other people that are walking in those shoes, that allows them to feel more comfortable and they feel that they can talk more in a safe space. So I think that when you're dealing with people um, – going to a regular therapist, you've got to be careful who you choose because, number one, you want to be comfortable with that person enough to open up and be honest. And number two, you want to just see if, if they understand what you're going through. And I tell people, if I lost my husband and you lost your husband, yes, we have that intellectual fact as a common denominator, but every relationship is unique and individual, and so everybody's grief is going to be different. So you, you just have to be aware of that when you're looking for a regular therapist. Grief counseling is important because I tell people grievers are not broken. They just need to be heard with dignity and respect. And so that's what we do in our classes is we listen to people and we hear what they have to say. I love that. And your nonprofit is called Loss 101. It's located here in North Carolina. You focus on moving from grief to recovery. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the what that is and the programs that you offer? Sure. When I first heard grief and recovery in the same sentence, a lot of people say that's not possible because, you know, when when you hear a horrific story of a child dying, 
and people say, I can never get past that, or different things that happen to in people's lives and they say, I can never get past that. Well, our class teaches people how to complete a grief. When we do a class, it's an eight-week class, and we do it in person. Here we're in the Concord area of North Carolina. We do classes in Kannapolis, Charlotte, Salisbury, all around here. Um, I also work one-on-one with people, and I do Zoom classes. So, um, you know, I have the capability. The furthest person I helped away was in South Korea. So, you know, we have the, the capability, the technology to help people over the computer. But uh, what we do is the eight-week class is based on a book written by John James and Russell Friedman back in the 80s called The Grief Recovery Handbook. And the premise of this book is that each week you have homework, so you're taking small and correct actions to help complete a grief. And when I say that, I, I use that term because there's completed grief and there's incomplete grief. And completed grief is when you have said and done everything in a relationship that you feel was needed to complete that relationship. Some people use the word closure for that. And so that would be a completed relationship. Someone said, my grandmother died, I was there by her side, and I said everything I needed to say to her, I was at complete peace when she died. That's great. That's a completed relationship. But other people may have someone and they die suddenly. Well, most deaths are suddenly. We never expect them. And so when that person dies, they have what I call the shoulda, coulda, woulda. And if only I had gone to see them more often, if only I had told them how much I appreciated them cooking breakfast every day, if only I had gone to see them the day before they died, all of these things, and our brain our lovely brain has this, it's like a loop of the relationship. And as you're reviewing that relationship, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas come out. And the more you focus on those, it's like one of those um, those coin collectors that we used to have in the malls. I don't know if, if there's even malls anymore because I shop on Amazon. But you've got this huge um, crater-like thing in the middle of the mall, and you put a quarter on it, and it goes around and around, and you can watch it for minutes before it gets down to the center, and then it goes really fast, and then the coin drops in there. And that's what our grief can turn into when we focus on the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. It's going to go around and around, and it's going to keep going faster until finally we drop into a mental place that we don't want to be. Nobody wants to be in that horrible dark spot where all they're thinking about is the pain of that relationship. So in each week, we, we get closer. We start off by what does society say about grief, and we go over the six myths of grief and the misinformation that we learned as we were children. And then as we go further into the lesson, we say, well, what were you taught about grief as a child? Because so much about what we, how we handle grief, we learned when we were children. And then we go into, well, how do you handle grief now? And those are coping mechanisms, or they call them in the book short-term energy-relieving behaviors. And those are actions that we take to, dis- to make us not feel our grief anymore. 
And so many people turn to drinking or drugs or shopping or exercise or all kinds of things so they don't have to feel that way for a short amount of time. And then we actually do an awesome exercise called the Lost History Graph, and you list all the losses that your brain has been storing. And I'm sure that you guys have read the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score. I'm reading it for the first time now, but it talks about how our bodies physically hold on to our losses, and it manifests itself in so many different ways. So one of the things that we do in our class is we acknowledge all of the losses that we that our brain has been hanging on to. And if I have, do I have time to share a short story with this one? Absolutely. Wonderful. When I was doing my grief certification, my teacher told me to do this exercise, and so she said, just write down whatever your brain says. And I said, okay. So one of the things that my brain said write down, ooh, write down drunk uncles. And I said, what the heck is that? Why did I write that down? And so when I got back to class and I said to my teacher, I have no clue why I wrote this down. And she said, tell me the story. And I had not thought of the story since I was a kid. But the story was when I was eight years old, my mother's side of the family would always come to our home for our birthdays. And by noon, the uncles were always drunk. Well, this year, they decided when it was time to sing happy birthday to my mother, they would play catch with her. And they tossed her back and forth through the air, singing happy birthday. And as she went through the air, she would say, oh, dear, oh, dear. And everyone thought it was hilarious. Well, when they put her down, my birthday is two days after my mother's. So they said, and now it's Luann's turn. And I went screaming out of the house. And my drunk uncles thought it was funny, so they chased me. And I ran down the sidewalk, ran three doors down to Gordon Scott's house, banged on the door, he let me in, and I stayed there until I knew the drunk uncles were gone. Now when I got home... Nobody said anything. They didn't say, where have you been? You're in trouble. I'm so sorry the drunk uncles chased you. You know, nothing. Nothing was said. So my teacher said to me, so what did you learn that day? And the first thing that popped out of my mouth was I can't trust my mom to protect me from the drunk uncles. So set up other choices and other things in my life where I didn't trust my mother, so that became part of my loss history graph. Well, we all have things in our, in our childhood that go along with that. And so, well, maybe not. Maybe some people had great, great ch- childhoods. I, I, I won't go into that. But one of the things on the loss history graph is when you acknowledge those losses, they're allowed to pass. And then they become part of your story, but you don't have the pain with them. But there are some that you will continue to have the pain with until you work on those or complete those. So the next week's lesson is to pick one of those that you still have pain or that take up space in your brain and you do a relationship graph on that. 
And then you do the good and the bad of that relationship graph. And one of the cool things that happen when you do that relationship graph is it allows you to see a complete picture of the relationship rather than just demonizing something or making it where everything was roses and cream. So it gives you an honest picture of that relationship. And one of the things that would be very helpful in your family's situation is when you do that relationship graph on someone who has a degenerative disease. My mother has dementia, so I was able to do this work on her. I know it's different than Huntington's, but I just wanted to use that as a similarity that when I do when I did the work on her of doing the relationship graph first and then I did what I call the grocery list and it's things that you put on the relationship graph that you need to apologize for, you need to forgive, or you need to tell the person. And then you put all of those communications into a letter to that person. Now, my mom is still walking the planet, and she never knew that I did this work on her. But what it allowed me to do was by doing this communication, it allowed me to set the relationship to the current day. So my mother, bless her soul, she, oh, I guess bless her heart because she's still alive, she is not living in reality anymore. And so you never know what you're going to get when you go visit her. And I have a sister who has not come to grips with mom having dementia, and so she's always arguing with her and trying to get her to be the mom that she remembers that raised her. And so she lives in frustration. Because I've done this work on my mom, I can go in and listen to her fantasies and delusions and have a relationship with her in the present moment the way she is today. And it has been so helpful because it allows me to have more peace in my life and that's the way I want to live is I want to have a peaceful life. And so I've done this work of doing a relationship graph, the I call them the shoulda, coulda, woulda list, the grocery list, and then the letter. I've done that more than 50 times since I got my certification in 2014 because you can do that work for any kind of loss in your life. And the more you do this work, I don't want to say it's easier when you have a loss, but it doesn't hurt for as long. Do I still miss the people and the things in my life that I've had to do this work on? Absolutely. But I don't have the gut-wrenching pain of I wish things were different because I have accepted them for the way they are in the current moment. This is so helpful and enlightening, and I'm so glad that you shared um, that story and, and everything because it truly is helpful to see um, to see how it you know brings you to the present, and um, uh, that's truly uh, very enlightening. Um, if there's one thing that you could recommend for someone who is experiencing grief and loss right now, what would it be? I think the first thing that I would tell someone is 
however you feel, it's okay. Because, again, society tells us how we should feel, how long we should feel that way, and if we're doing it wrong. And I think just by telling somebody, however you're choosing to handle this, it's okay. Because some people can be very destructive in the initial phases of grief, and some people just breeze through it. And, you know, some people believe that there are five stages of grief. And those five stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross were written when she did an awesome work on terminally ill people. And so she said these are the five stages that people go through when they have been diagnosed with a terminal illness until their death. Well, because we live in such an instant society, somebody got the bright idea, hey, wait a minute, if this is working for people who are terminally ill, what if we take these five stages and put them on grieving people because it's the same thing or close enough, and then we can tell them after you get through these five stages, you'll be done. And I think that you will agree if you've experienced loss in your life that there are not five stages of grief that you go through, one, two, three, four, five. Grief is more like if you have been tossed overboard into the ocean and there's a storm raging and you're bumping your head on the floor of the ocean and you're cutting your arms on the coral and you're holding your breath and you don't know how much longer you can hold your breath for and you're fighting to get to the surface of the water, and finally, for some unknown reason, you get spit out onto this beach. And you look around, and nothing is familiar. And so I tell people, when you're grieving, it's like that. You are just getting torn to shreds by the ocean, and then all of a sudden you're spit out into unfamiliar territory. And there's three things you can do. You can sit on the beach and wait for help. You can go back into the ocean and forget about help. Or you can find the wood that you need to build an SOS and you can seek help. And so I tell people when they are grieving, you have choices. You have options. Number one, what you're doing is okay. And number two, make the choice about do you want help or you don't want help. I I absolutely love that. Um, I thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing all of that. Um, you know, as somebody who understands grief, not only because you, you've dealt with um, – you know, dementia in your mom, but dealing with a, a rare condition with your husband when he passed away and, and feeling that loss, you have such a great understanding <laughs> of, of what it is. And you're right, if if you don't have somebody there who can truly understand it, it doesn't help very much. So um, just everything you've said has just been so helpful, especially to me. Um, I lost my father a year and a half ago, and um, I was his caregiver for years. So it's just um, very enlightening um, to hear this. So I truly appreciate you coming on today. Well, I appreciate you having me. And one thing, you know, when you when you made that comment that came to my 
head is that when you lost your father, you not only lost your father, you lost your identity if you were his caregiver for so long. And mm-hmm. people yeah. don't recognize that in society, that that's what you, you lost more than just your father. You lost your identity, too. And so that's something that you have to figure out how to be Lauren now without your father. And that's, that's, a, tough, that's a tough role to play. It 100% is. Um, you are absolutely right. And you're right. People don't realize that. Um, so it is uh, very nice to actually hear that somebody understands that. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this is just a perfect show, especially for the Huntington's um, community. You know, we, we do experience loss in so many ways. And um, it, it's also interesting to me that our bodies hold on to those losses. And, um, you know, it doesn't show that it's more like a cumulative effect if you don't deal with it. It is. Yes, um, it is. So I am so grateful to you um, for coming on. Again, Luann is with Loss 101. Um, You can go to her website, loss101.org, and um, learn all about her nonprofit and what they do and find a way to contact them. Um, but I am just truly grateful today that we got to actually talk about grief and loss. And um, and as we approach Grief Awareness Day on August 30th, I hope that we just remember um, what Luann has told us today. So for those who are listening, um, please make sure that you tune in next week. We've got um, HD Buzz coming on to do our HD Buzz roundtable that we do monthly on research um, and they'll be talking about some of the research that recently, the research news that recently came to us, um, as well as talking about how Huntington's is a whole body disease, not just a brain disease. So um, make sure to tune in for that. And until next time, guys, love you guys and take care. Thanks, Luann. Oh, you're welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.